0: Welcome to the Life Course Podcast from the ESRC International Centre for Life Course Studies at UCL. In today's episode, helping young people prepare for healthy, happy relationships. Kath Mercer from UCL and Claire Tanton from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine discuss research looking at the kinds of intimate behaviour that 14-year-olds are engaging in and how that might guide efforts to set their intimate life on a positive course.
1: Well, I think the first thing to say is that getting involved with a partner is part and parcel of adolescence. It's part and parcel of transitioning into adulthood. But most of the work that's been done today has really focused on sexual debut, so the first occasion of actual sex. And uh, relatively little is known about what happens up to that point. So when we talk about partnered activities, we're actually you know, thinking very simply and basically hand-holding, kissing, so not necessarily thinking about sex. There has been some work to date that's looked at this process um, leading up to first sexual um, debut. But that work, although done in the UK, was uh, with young people who were born in the 1990s. So a little bit out of date now. And at the time that that study was undertaken, those um, children, young people, were aged 12 to 13. Whereas our study looked at a year later when obviously things are, are starting to ramp up a bit more in terms of young people getting to know themselves and to start to experience other people in this context of romance
0: and sexual activity. Yeah, that year can make a, whole, a, a lot of difference, Absolutely, can't it? Yeah. So of course becoming interested in intimacy and sexual activity, is, as you said, a completely normal part of mm-hmm. growing up, mm-hmm. but what are the concerns around uh, early sexual
1: activity? Absolutely. So we know that, as we've said, that this is normal, uh, this is part of the transition from childhood to adulthood. But we know that for some young people, it can be a bit of a rocky road. And so it's really important that uh, young people are supported in this transition. So they have the right uh, sex education, relationship education, and just to think about how that interacts with other areas of their social and emotional development. So in the context of mental health and wellbeing, substance use, drinking, smoking, it's, it's all part of the transition with the potential for adverse um, outcomes at that time and also, importantly, later in life. So it's really important that we prepare young people and help young people for that transition.
0: On that note, in terms of your research mm-hmm. and your work, what did you and your colleagues want to look into exactly and, and why?
1: Okay, so the first question we wanted to look at was, what's the actual prevalence of what we call partnered intimate activities, which is a bit of a mouthful, <laughs> um, and Claire will talk a bit more about what that um, Actually involves in a moment, um, but as I've said, it's, it's this transition from um, being a child to an adult, and ultimately that lead those activities that lead to sexual debuts. Our study wanted to look at the prevalence of those activities when young people are around about the age of 14. But we also wanted to look at the factors that were associated with experiencing the different levels, different stages of uh, partnered intimate activities. So, for example, uh, the relationship that young people have with their friends and family, other health behaviours, so smoking, drinking, drug use, and also, as I've said, the mental health context. So it's not just thinking about those uh, intimate behaviours in isolation, but rather the broader context of young people's lives.
0: Claire, um, that sort of information, quite tricky to get a hold of, I think most people would imagine, where did your information actually come from?
2: Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. So we, um, for this um, piece of work we used data from a large UK longitudinal study called the Millennium Cohort Study. So it's a pr- prospective cohort study of children born kind of between 2000 and 2002 um, of around 19,000 families within the UK. And it's a really valuable study um, because of the way the children were selected to participate in the study. So that means that the people who were selected should be representative of the UK population, which is really important. Um, So the children who were recruited kind of around the time of birth and their families have been followed up quite a few times now. Um, And in this study, we mainly used data which were from interviews with the children themselves and their um, carers at age 14, although we also use some data collected from when the children were age 11. And it's a really big data set. So in this study, just looking at the data from when they were age 14, we've got data from 11,000 children, which is huge, and that's about 60% of the originally recruited sample.
0: Yeah, really, really rich and yeah. important data set, as you say. And what sort of questions about intimate sexual activity were young people asked? In the Millennium Cohort Study and um, what were you able to do then with the information that they provided you?
2: Yeah okay so um, so the young people were asked questions as Kath said about their partnered intimate activities and specifically they were asked whether they had um, engaged in intimate activities with another young person in the past 12 months so we specified um, that it would be young people and then they were asked questions about nine different intimate activities about hand-holding about kissing about cuddling uh, touching on under clothing, fondling, oral sex, and then sexual intercourse. So as Kath said, much broader than this kind of um, concept of sexual debut and vaginal sex. Um, The questions were also asked in order, in a kind of sequence, assuming a progression from kind of what we might consider less intimate activities to more intimate activities. So um, those young people who said that they had held hands with someone, kissed someone, or cuddled someone, were then asked questions about whether they'd touched under their clothes and whether they'd fondled. And those young people reporting that they had kind of touching under clothes or fondling were asked questions about oral sex and sexual intercourse and so then we grouped the different um, partnered intimate activities according to their responses to these questions into these kind of categories which we kind of named light moderate and heavy so light um, includes hand holding kissing and cuddling moderate includes touching and fondling under clothes and the heavy includes oral sex and sexual intercourse and then obviously there's a group of young people as well who reported that they'd had no partnered intimate Activities.
0: So Claire, how common were the various types of grouped activity that you've explained there uh, uh, among those young people?
2: Okay, so overall, uh, 70% of young people reported some form of partnered intimate activity in the last 12 months, um, but mainly this was light activities. So um, just under 60% of young people reported engaging in light activities, about 7.5% in moderate activities, and only 3.2% in what we considered Partners' heavy activities and there was little difference in this between boys and girls, which is interesting.
0: Now you also had access to a host of other information in this very wonderful study. Things such as smoking, drinking, the youngsters general well-being, their mental health. What what did this information tell you and how did it relate to all of your findings around, uh, around intimate activity?
2: So we firstly looked at each of these things and whether they were associated with intimate activities. And then because we know that a lot of these different um, variables like mental health maybe, maybe different types of um, substance use, maybe smoking, drinking, kind of are associated with each other, we then looked at the association between all of these things together and partnered intimate activities to try and look at how things were associated after we'd taken account of that kind of clustering of behaviours. So in terms of kind of what we might think of as social relationships, we found that um, for young people who confided uh, their worries um, with a friend um, and reported arguing with their parents on those days, those were associated with reporting intimate partners' intimate activities, while young people who kind of confided their worries in a parent or who had weak social support were less likely um, to report intimate partner's activities young people who reported lower levels of kind of parental supervision um, and monitoring and those who reported um, engaging with kind of behaviours like smoking, drinking um, and drug use were um, more likely to report um, intimate activities. And uh, young people with higher depression scores were also more likely to report intimate activities. Um, and we actually found in, um, similar associations when we looked at the data from age 11 as from age 14, suggesting that kind of some of these variables in ed- early adolescence are also associated with later intimate activities.
0: Kath, that brings me back nicely to you to ask you really what the research tells us that we didn't know already. Uh, you know, what do we learn really? Sure.
1: Well, as Claire's pointed out, partnered intimate activities among young people around about age 14 are commonplace but for the majority they are fairly tame shall we say, Um, but I think it flags up um, the the transition, that important transition to um, having sex, actual sex, sexual intercourse, and we know that although that's only a minority of these uh, people in our study for the 14 year olds at around about one in 30, we know from other research, I'm thinking specifically from the National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles that Claire and I both work on, that a younger age at first sex is associated with what we call lower sexual competence, so people being less willing than their partner to have first sex, being less ready so for, for example in terms of using contraception um, for giving a, a less autonomous reason for having first sex so these sort of negative circumstances of first sex are more common amongst uh, among um, people who have sex at a, a younger age and so understanding that the, the lead up to that first um, to first sexual debut is really important so that we can then intervene and make sure that that first sexual experience and the journey to that point is a far more positive experience for the young person and their partner, Yeah, especially when we think about the broader context of mental health as well.
0: On that point of intervention, mm. I wonder whether there are some useful takeaways for you know, people who are parents of, of children of this age, of young people of this age, teachers, health professionals, policy makers, all of those mm-hmm. people who are, you know, genuinely concerned uh, with the sexual health and wider wellbeing being of, of, of young people, as of course, you know, you as researchers are. Absolutely. I mean, I think we need to think about
1: um, sexual debuts not being something that just happens in isolation, that there's a build-up, there's the potential to intervene with um, younger people through the relationship and sex education curriculum, um, around issues not just relating to the physical act of sex, but uh, in terms of life skills, for example communication skills, negotiation skills, for example talking about how to use condoms, in terms of willingness uh, to have sex, what does sex mean to, to different people, that can really shape uh, young people's journey to such that that first sexual um, experience is a positive one with implications for, for later life. So they are important messages for parents, for teachers and uh, for policy makers to think about that transition period um, and to think about the factors that can influence that.
2: And I think another thing that is important in relation to the, you know, the relationships and sex education is making sure that young people are given the information they need in a timely manner. So, as Kath said, we're not, you know, sex doesn't just happen um, without this kind of build-up, and we want people to make sure that they have the information they need to equip them to kind of embark on their intimate activities um, in the most positive way at the time they need them. And I should say, as a, as a shameless plug for
1: the next wave of the National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles, that this is this journey is something that we're hoping to to unpack by uh, in interviewing younger people as part of the survey, capturing data on on their f- uh, first sexual experiences. So. This work we've done with the Millennium Cohort Study is fascinating and really helpful and provides a platform to unpack further with uh, the next wave of Natsal, which will be happening in the next couple of years.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life Course podcast, which is presented and produced by Chris Garrington. Partnered intimate activities in early adolescence Findings from the UK Millennium Cohort Study is researched by Yvonne Kelly, Afshin Zillanawala, Claire Tanton, Ruth Lewis and Catherine Mercer, and is published in the Journal of Adolescent Health.